you'll open your Bibles to Daniel chapter 10. to read carefully through Daniel chapter 10 this morning, and then I'll pray. Daniel chapter 10. Beginning in verse 1. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a message was revealed to Daniel, who was named Belteshazzar. And the message was true and one of great conflict, but he understood the message and had an understanding of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, had been mourning for three entire weeks. I did not eat any tasty food, nor did meat or wine enter my mouth, nor did I use any ointment at all until the entire three weeks were completed. On the 24th day of the first month, while I was by the bank of the great river, that is the Tigris, I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, there was a certain man dressed in linen, whose waist was girded with a belt of pure gold, or bafaz. His body was also like beryl. His face had the appearance of lightning. His eyes were like flaming torches. His arms and feet like the gleam of polished bronze, and the sound of his words like the sound of a tumult. Now I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, while the men who were with me did not see the vision. Nevertheless, a great dread fell on them, and they ran away to hide themselves. So I was left alone and saw this great vision, yet no strength was left in me. For my natural color turned to a deathly pallor, and I retained no strength. But I heard the sound of his words, and as soon as I heard the sound of his words, I fell into a deep sleep on my face, with my face to the ground. Then behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. He said to me, O Daniel, Man of high esteem, understand the words that I am about to tell you and stand upright, for I have now been sent to you. And when he had spoken his word to me, I stood up trembling. Then he said to me, Do not be afraid, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart on understanding this and on humbling yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come in response to your words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia was withstanding me for 21 days. Then behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I had been left there with the kings of Persia. Now I have come to give you an understanding of what will happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision pertains to the days yet future. When he had spoken to me according to these words, I turned my face toward the ground and became speechless. And behold, one who resembled a human being was touching my lips. Then I opened my mouth and spoke and said to him who was standing before me, O my Lord, as a result of the vision, anguish has come upon me, and I have retained no strength. 
For how can such a servant of my Lord talk with such as my Lord? As for me, there remains just now no strength in me, nor has any breath been left in me. Then this one with human appearance touched me again and strengthened me. He said, O man of high esteem, do not be afraid. Peace be with you. Take courage and be courageous. Now as soon as he spoke to me, I received strength and said, May my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. Then he said, Do you understand why I have come to you? But I shall now return to fight against the prince of Persia. So I am going forth, and behold, the prince of Greece is about to come. However, I will tell you what is inscribed in the writing of truth. Yet there is no one who stands firmly with me against these forces except Michael, your prince. In the first year of Darius the Mede, I arose to be an encouragement and a protection for him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we bow before you, for your word is humbling. There are many truths that you teach us in your word that are plain. There are many places that your law is given, that the matter is plain and true. And yet there are some places that have difficulty. So, Lord, we ask for your mercy upon our souls this morning as we've come to another passage with some difficulty. Lord, we ask for your spirit to work, to use the preacher for your glory, to bring clarity to these things in some way that is glorifying unto you and helpful to the people. We ask for your spirit to work in the souls of those who are listening. That they may have some understanding of what was taking place at this time in the life of Daniel. And how it gives evidence to things that we don't often think about or understand in the heavenly realm. but how it also brings encouragement to us about even the day and age we live in. We ask for your mercies upon us during this time. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Last week, we considered the background of Daniel's life leading up to this point. We considered not only the strain of his life, but the difficulty of his role in a prophetic position in the latter or later chapters of his life. In these final chapters, beginning here in chapter 10 all the way to chapter 12, we will see the most difficult and detailed vision in these latter days of Daniel's life. 
It is the year 536 B.C. And Daniel was given a message that was true and of great conflict. As we will see in coming weeks, the message reveals physical world order conflict and spiritual world order conflict. The prophetic, the prophetic vision regarding the physical world is immense and amazingly accurate. When we get into chapter 11, it, it ought to blow your minds a little bit what God did bringing this vision before Daniel. But the spiritual world conflict is on a scale the human mind fails to fully comprehend or apprehend. This morning there will be places in this passage that ought to give us some real serious pause. Not only about earthly things, but about things that we don't see and we don't fully understand. We have to see that this vision is given to Daniel in such a way it, it brings him to grief and mourning, and even leading up to it. He had already been there, and we noted that in his prayer in chapter 9. Daniel was weighted heavy. So firstly this morning, Daniel grieved for the plight of his people. Here it is, 536 B.C., third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, and we see that Daniel is receiving this message that is true and of great conflict. And it says that in those days I, Daniel, had been mourning for three entire weeks. He grieved for the plight of his people. He grieved over their awful sin. He grieved over his own sin. But even coming into this time of this three weeks of mourning... As Daniel grieved, it says, I did not eat any tasty food. Um, some versions may render that bread of desirability. Um, well, what is it about bread? They tell us it's bad for us, and yet you just want to eat it. You see bread and you want to eat it, right? And when it's good bread especially, it's just hard not to just... So think about three weeks, no bread of desirability. Daniel was so grieved over what was happening that for three weeks he is in, in, a, in a mode of putting all of these desirable things aside. It seems as though from his early days as a young man where he would only eat the vegetables, there had been some change in his diet and that he had come to this time and this place that he was mourning in such a way, not only did he have no bread of desirability, but nor did he eat meat or wine. Daniel was so enthralled that those things which are considered the good things of this life in food and drink he had completely put aside.
He didn't even use any ointment on his body. He was so enthralled. Where he'd been grieved over the plight of his people and their awful sin, he's also grieved over their difficult homeland return. This time is coming when Cyrus had already proclaimed that the people could return. And we know from reading the book of Ezra that within the first two years of their return, there was already difficulty and trouble. Daniel being so high up, as one author noted, in the Persian government, he would have probably received word that the troubles for the people of Israel in their return had already been difficult. They were already having uh, different groups snipe against them. And this grieved Daniel. He had been so encouraged that the people were going to be able to return when he read Jeremiah's words that now at this time in the third year of the reign of Cyrus, he's already hearing that there's difficulty. And it weighs heavy on him. I want to just for a moment remind you of what that would have been like for Daniel. Has there ever been something that you wanted so badly to happen? It had just been on your mind and every part of your soul for a lengthy period of time, years and years. And when you saw evidence that it was going to happen, there was this enthusiasm in you. After these years and years and years of difficulty, hoping and hoping that it would happen, And then as you see the evidence and the encouragement that it might happen and it begins to happen, then you see difficulty once again. And it puts you in this great place of stress and struggle. Daniel, for decades, had longed for this homeland return. And upon reading in Jeremiah, was brought to this place of encouragement. And yet hearing the news of the continued plight of the people as they have returned and the difficulty even in the first year and second year of that return. He's brought low once again. Praying before God. Trying to understand these visions. Even so much so that in chapters 7 and 8, Daniel says, I don't understand it, but I want to seek it more, and it's terrifying. And he says, I have to know more of it. Daniel has gone back to this place of trying to understand these visions from 7 and 8, seeking to what knowledge he can know and understand, and yet he has not understood it at all. It has perplexed him so badly. How is this going to work out for the people of God? It seems like every turn is one problem. They're exiled. They're destroyed and exiled. Then they're able to go back and now there's problems again. What will happen? We travel so easily these days and we get back from places so easily we think little of our travel and our return.
We don't understand the day where you may take literally days or weeks to get somewhere that to you and I seems very close by. We don't understand and think about a day that you could literally be stuck somewhere and not get home. People today are just demoralized. They might have to sleep one night in an airport because their flight got canceled. True enough, it's a problem, I get it, and if I'd there, I'd be mad too. But you know, that's a first world 21st century problem. Here's a man looking at the whole of his people, seeing their sin before God, his own sin, the struggles of what they've gone through because of their own plight and what they've done before God even in worship. And now there's this recognition that God would return them after decades of exile and all of their worship being destroyed in the temple. He's given some hope and yet now he's struggling because he doesn't know what will happen. What will come about that this could be solved? What will come about that this could be made right? Well, as he's grieved over their difficult homeland return, we notice, beginning in verse 4, number 2, Daniel met a messenger of particular personage. Daniel met a messenger of of particular personage. Uh, I will admit to you that this has been a difficult place to work through for some time. Years ago, I thought, I, I kind of understood this. Um, and over time, reading and rereading things, there's difficulty as to who this messenger is, and we'll discuss it as we go along. I will give you to my best understanding who I think the messenger is. There are good men, good Christian godly men who disagree with this perspective. And I would say in some places they have a case. I'll just be honest. So I will give you the best of my understanding of who this messenger is, but remember, even more importantly, ultimately, then the messenger is the message itself. So we want to see the messenger rightly as best we can, but we also want to understand the message the best we can. So Daniel met a messenger of particular personage. Well, under number two, he met the messenger in April of 536 B.C., I just said it, didn't I? I gave you a date. Verse 4. On the 24th day of the first month. One writer says, based upon the opening words of verse 4, on the 24th day of the first month, we know the exact date of the vision recorded by Daniel. The 24th day of the first month would be Nisan 536, or in our calendar, 
April 23rd, 536 B.C. The text gives us a real indication of when this exactly happened. Not only that, it gives us an indication of where it happened. He met the messenger in modern-day Iraq. Notice what Daniel says. On the 24th day of the first month, while I was by the bank of the great river, that is the Tigris. One pastor, a theologian, says we not only have the date of vision, we have the precise location where it was given, the Tigris River in what is now modern Iraq. It gives us a little bit of a picture here of kind of a time of year and a time of place. And yet, that is not of the greatest importance necessarily, but it does give us the indication in 536, this is when this was taking place. And when we begin to unfold the portions of the vision in chapter 11, to think that this was unfolding before Daniel's eyes in 536 B.C., the accuracy of this vision going forward is absolutely, in the physical world, amazing. But before that's unfolded, Daniel is met by this messenger. He met the messenger spoken of as the Son of Man. We see in these verses, first of all, he sees a human form dressed in white linen priestly garments. Just like Leviticus 16.4 and Zechariah 3. He sees a human form in line with the salvific son of man. These phrases, his body was like beryl, his face had the appearance of lightning, his eyes were like flaming torches. His arms and feet like the gleam of polished bronze, and the sound of his words like the sound of a tumult. One writer notes Daniel's account here bears strong resemblance to a similar divine figure whose appearance is recounted in Ezekiel 1 and Revelation 1 13 through 16. Verse 12. Of Revelation. Revelation 1. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking with me, John says. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the middle of the lampstands, I saw one like a son of man, clothed in a robe, reaching to the feet, and girded across his chest with golden sash. This is the idea of the golden uphaz. His head and his hair were white like wool, like snow, and his eyes were like flame of fire. The flame, the torch of his eyes, Daniel 10. His feet were like burnished bronze when it has been made to glow in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of many waters. This is very similar imagery. Remember, this is apocalyptic literature. We're not looking at getting exact, detailed phrases and and. When we're speaking of the Son of Man, what detail could be given in an earthly realm that we could fully understand the condescension of the Son of Man? So it's given in these huge apocalyptic phrases. I think both here in Daniel and in Revelation. We also need to note that Daniel has a similar experience to others 
who saw Christ in vision. I think this son of man, I think this messenger here is the son of man. It's the very Christ. John saw him on the Isle of Patmos, verse 17 of chapter 1. When I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. Paul saw him on the road to Damascus, Acts 9. Daniel's experience at this point bears some similarity to that of Paul on the road to Damascus. Now I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, while the men who were with me did not see the vision, verse 7. Nevertheless, a great dread fell on them, and they ran away to hide themselves. That's similar. So I was left alone and saw this great vision, yet no strength was left in me, for my natural color turned to a deathly pallor, and I retained no strength. Paul fell on his face before the Lord Jesus. He was put prostrate. These men who saw the Christ in these visions were in some sense trembling and laid low. Now there are some who would disagree that this is the Christ or this is a Christophany or a Theophany. And they would say so because of one main reason of the text in chapter 10, verse 13. It says, But the prince of the kingdom of Persia was withstanding me for 21 days. Then behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I had been left there with the kings of Persia. As I thought about that issue in verse 13, I thought about the importance of understanding the doctrine of providence and God's use of means. This messenger could be another angel. It could be Gabriel. But I don't think verse 13 necessarily makes it have to be an angel. Because some will say, well... The messenger needed help. But think about this for a minute. What we're going to see in a moment about the message itself gives us the identification that everything that happens in the world and in the worldly realm of the spiritual nature is ordered by God and sustained by Him. And God is always using His means, whether it be spiritual means or earthly means. The same is true of the Son. Did the Son have the power and authority that he needed, Michael? In the sense that he was limit, limited in his power? No. He could have used Michael as a means. And especially when we see the message itself as dealing with the spiritual world conflict, it would make sense that something of the spiritual realm is being used by means to deal with that war or conflict that's taking place in the spiritual realm. I don't think the messenger here is admitting a limited power. I think he is giving a picture of how means are used even in the spiritual realm, things that are going on that we don't fully understand. And means that are used here on earth 
We get it. God uses means. This is why today's worship service is called the means of grace. We're using means. God gave us means to worship Him. What are those means? We sing praise and worship unto Him. That's a means by which we worship. How do we worship Him? We place ourselves under the preaching of God's Word. It's a means. The preaching of God's Word is a means to our souls, but it's also a means that we may worship Him. These means are like tools. It would be very sad if we went to Tim's Delta machinist shop or David's plumbing shop or Mr. Rennie's cabinet shop and we walked in and we saw no tools. They were just standing in a big room by themselves. I make cabinets. I build airplane engines. I'm a plumber who puts plumbing together. No tools. No pipe. No parts. Wouldn't you think that would be odd? Well, God uses means. Not because He is limited by the means, but because He chooses to use those means. And so I think here, the Son of Man, the very Christ Himself, is using means. I also think that this is the Son of Man because of the reaction that Daniel has. Not only was he laid low, but he met the messenger who settled him and terrified him. Notice when the angels terrified uh, the shepherds in the field, the angels, or the angel, had to say to him, It's okay, I have a word of the Lord. And yet here, it's the very messenger himself who not only brings the terror, but brings the comfort. As one pastor theologian noted, even an experienced and veteran prophet is terrified when in the presence of the Lord. Here we have the Lord himself, I think, coming as that messenger to speak to his man. That man is terrified in the moment, and yet it is the Lord himself who comforts him. Because this is what we see in the text. He's lost his strength. He can no longer stand up. He makes this appeal to the messenger later in the chapter. Verse 18, this, then this one with human appearance touched me again and strengthened me. In these passages, I want to note the appeal of the messenger to Daniel. In verse 11, he calls him a man of high esteem. He calls him one who has been humbling himself before God in verse 12. Daniel is seen as a man in this place who is earnestly seeking to understand these visions 
for his own strength and hopefully to give strength to the people of God in whatever these visions mean and what's going to take place. And Daniel notes that after he's been addressed this way, he was strengthened by the messenger. I received strength and said, may my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. So we see here that Daniel is grieved for the plight of his people. Daniel met a messenger of this rare personage personage and I think he's the very Lord himself but most importantly what is he speaking of well thirdly this morning Daniel witnessed a revelation of perfect power Daniel witnessed a revelation of perfect power We noted earlier that Daniel alone saw the vision and heard the words. He's left to himself. Everybody scatters. And now he's left there with this messenger who has shown himself to Daniel, but no one else around saw him. And the vision was so striking, Daniel is just terrified. But as the Lord strengthens him, he begins to give him a context to understand what is taking place. Daniel alone saw the vision and heard the words. Daniel alone saw and heard of a puzzling power struggle. In verse 13, when the Christ speaks... He says, but the prince of the kingdom of Persia was withstanding me for 21 days. Then behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I had been left there with the kings of Persia. Several writers, some modern, some older, some Puritan writers noted There has to be a context here which you recognize there's a little bit of a mindset flip. What has been focused on these earthly realms of the four kingdoms that have been given in the previous visions, now there's a backdrop to a power struggle going on in and amongst those visions and how all of those Nations will come to be in power and how they will be defeated in time and how ultimately all those who are against God will be defeated. There's a sense that we must understand here in this this flip of context when the kingdom of Persia, the prince of the kingdom of Persia was withstanding me for 21 days This is not a reference to the literal prince of the kingdom of Persia, someone who's not been mentioned and will not be mentioned coming up in chapter 11. 
This is giving us a context to understand there are things happening where God is using his angels to deal with the very schemes of the devil. What Scott said to you this morning is something you need and I need to take more thoughtfully, seriously thoughtfully, that the devil is real. He is a person. He's not walking around with a pitchfork and horns coming out of his head and he's fiery red. And he is some type of fallen angelic creature. And he hates God. He hates all of his holiness. He hates everything about him. And he has his fallen angels or demons who follow him. And they seek to work out the schemes of the devil. I'm not saying to you that there is a demon behind every bush. That's not the point. The point is to say to you there are things happening not only in the earthly realm, but in a spiritual realm that is a context we can't really see or fully fathom or comprehend and apprehend. Turn with me to Ephesians 6. Think carefully about Paul's words. In Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 10, Finally be strong in the Lord and the strength of His might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to fight all of the evil people on the earth who are in your way, who you don't like, and they don't agree with you, and you can put your sword in every one of them who comes your way. Is that what it says? So you'll be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil for our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. This is evidence that something is happening in the spiritual realm. These created beings, angelic creatures, there are those that... They love God with all of their being and they follow Him and they are His servants and they work for Him and then there are those who have fallen away and they are evil in all of their intentions and they will never be saved. They are eternally lost and will never be saved. And they will always seek to work against God's way. Think of the interactions that the Lord Jesus had with these demons. Wasn't it interesting that they would know who he was? Would call him out? When Paul writes this to give this information to the church in Ephesus, he's reminding them, as Daniel was told in his day, there is a fight, and that fight is not just an earthly physical fight. And matter of fact, that fight is even greater than an earthly physical fight. 
If it weren't a spiritual fight, then why would our souls even matter? Why would God have to regenerate a dead soul and bring it to life in Christ if that which is of the Spirit doesn't matter? Our very being is given to us by God. He breathes life into the very being of a human. And He does so by His Spirit. His Spirit giving us a spirit. We are not automatons. We have a spirit and a body. God is waging war for the very souls of people because there is a spirit war happening. The point of Paul's words and Daniel's words, though, are to make us aware of this puzzling power struggle. It's not to send us into a frenzy. It's not to send us into some identification, always looking for demons. It's not to send us into some place to have a sense of trying to find every demon behind a bush. It's not to send us into a frenzy in the world to think that it's always there. It's even to help us to understand that the coming of Christ the first time was to bind these demons and Satan. You realize that through the life and death and burial and resurrection of Christ, Satan has been bound. His demons have been bound. This is why we don't see as much of the demon work in the time after Christ's resurrection as we do during his ministry and even before. But Paul is still letting us know this battle is happening. And so if it's happening in the context of the new covenant, it's still there. It's not finally been put away. Then we must recognize in Daniel 10, the ideology here gives us a sense where It's even larger then. It's greater in the time of Daniel because Christ has not come the first time to this earth. There is some angelic creature who is trying to work his woe in the kingdom of Persia and withstanding the things of God. The Son as King of all time and space uses His messenger Michael to aid Him in His work. Michael is one of the chief princes among the angels and he comes and he aids the Son in his work. Do you realize that we're given a backdrop here to understand that when Belshazzar, king of Babylon, is overtaken, there is certainly a physical, real-world conflict going on.
There is a sense of understanding that when the kings of Persia rise to the forefront, there is a real world conflict going on, real actual battles taking place, men dying. And yet at the same time, God himself is working in the very spirit and spirits of the world to bring about his desires. Babylon was only able to take the people of Israel and Judah because God orchestrated it, not only in physical real-time world, but in this spiritual world conflict. There were those among the spiritual demons who wanted these kingdoms to march against God's people. And they only overcame when God ordered it in His purpose and time. And when He was done with Babylon, He brought in Persia. And Persia only came to rise by God's purpose being not only in the physical realm, but in the spiritual realm itself. The same will be true in the vision coming up in chapter 11 to where the unfolding of history over the next six to 800 years will be put before Daniel in such detail. It will be amazing. And the very coming of the Messiah will be put before him. The Son of Man is going to give him a vision of his own coming to this very earth. And he's saying to him, I'm working in all of the realm. There's not one place that I am not working. I am the King. Daniel alone saw and heard of this puzzling power struggle. But he also saw and heard of immeasurable authority. There may be some of you who are unbelievers this morning who think it is wild to speak in these ways. But I would say to those who are believers and Christians, it would be wrong if I didn't tell you of these truths. If you as a believer are having a hard time thinking through some of these things, join the crowd. But also recognize, for you and I to sit here and think that all of this that's going on in our lives is all about President Biden and President Xi and some guy in North Korea, and it's all about this and that, the other, and our little physical world, and what I want in Jackson and Griffin, and blah, 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 then we've lost our minds. We are myopic. And small thinking. God is big. And the universe he created is big. And the creatures that he created are in numbers far vastly enumerated beyond what we can understand and know. And we get a little small vision that in everything he's created, even in that which is of spirit, angelic creatures that do not have bodies, he created them, that there is a working war going on and God himself is subduing even in that working world. And we are left in this vision ultimately with the hope and the reality that God sends his king and everything will be reconciled. Even things you and I do not see will be taken care of in a way that you and I can't even fathom. 
You want to know how much God sustains His people? You want to know how much He cares for His people? He fights for your souls. He saves you. He keeps you. He sustains you on this very earth. And then there's things going on that you and I don't see. And He's dealing with all that too. Even when I'm worried about losing my keys. It's real. It's amazing. Your souls are being fought for. And God is not only winning, He has won the battle. And that's how He can say He will never leave you nor forsake you. When the messenger comes to this place. In verse 1 of chapter 11, he's already said that Michael is prince, is helping, and he tells him, in the first year of Darius the Mede, I arose to be an encouragement and a protection for him. (laughs) Darius thought, Cyrus thought, I'm the man. And you know what God's saying? He's saying there's one man, the Son of Man. He rules and reigns. And while Cyrus thought he was doing his own bidding, he was only doing mine. Biden, Xi, Un Jun, whoever it is. Thank the Lord you're alive because it's only by His power that you exist. All our politicians are seeking for power, looking for it at every realm, and they have no idea. They are simply tools in the hand of the one King. And ultimately, when they do not obey, they will be brought to justice. We need to think that everything around us is serving a purpose, even in a realm that we don't see. If you don't think God doesn't love His creatures, then you haven't understood what's in this Word this morning. Two things you need to leave with. Not only does God care for His people and love them, He hears their prayers. This is what's said to Daniel. (laughs) Your words were heard, verse 12, and I have come in response to your words. Daniel had been praying to understand these things wholeheartedly. He set his mind that God would give him some understanding of, is there hope? He says, do you want to know if there's hope? Okay, fine, I'll give this vision to you. It's going to blow your mind but I'm going to give this vision to you. Now, I don't say that to you for you to go home and ask for a new vision. That's not the point. All the visions we need are already in the Scripture. The point of you is to start getting your mind blown by the visions that are in the Scripture and paying attention to God's Word. Don't look for a new vision. You need the revelation in God's Word right here. Open it up. Read it. Spend time in it. Stop thinking about all the garbage that doesn't matter. Love golf, watch it, 
The Open is on this weekend. Friday afternoon, I'm recording The Open just so I can get to watch a little bit of it. I turn it on Friday afternoon and all I can think is, this doesn't matter. In one sense, it doesn't. But in another sense, you know that God's even using that. A little white ball being hit around on grass in England. Some guy's going to win a few million dollars because he could put the ball in the hole. Somehow God's even using that. It's a reminder that God is always seeking to work. And our mindset needs to be on His work. His work. Because He hears our prayers. It's also to be a reminder that we need to be careful about saying we've seen the Lord or seen this or seen that. One writer I noted, well, multiple writers actually I noted, they said it's always interesting when you hear people say they've seen the Lord or they've seen the vision of an angel, but they can come back and talk about it almost like nothing happened. He said if one of them, one writer said, if one of them came to me, I would look at him and say, well, gee, it didn't affect you much. We don't need new visions. We need the vision of the Scripture. And if we pay attention to this, it'll grab hold of us. And there are times it will lay us low and terrify us, and it should. If you've not been humbled and terrified by God's Word lately, read it more. Read it more. If you want to know of His grace and His love in the midst of the terror, read it more. Read it more. I leave you the importance of God's Word alone to comfort the souls of saints alone. The world will not get it and will not see it until their eyes are opened, the scales are taken off, and for that to happen, their spirit has to be brought from death to life. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, your word gives us great, great strength that you literally have all the power to deal with your creation. Lord, give us hope not to fear the troubles of this world, but to follow the words of your preacher Paul, prepare ourselves, put on the armor to fight against the schemes of the devil because our struggle is not just against flesh and blood, but the real struggle is in the powers of darkness that we don't always see. We may see the effects of it, like the wind, but we don't see it. You do. So we trust in you, that you are working. And this world will be brought to an end where all things are reconciled to you. May we hope in Christ so in that day of reconciliation we could stand declared right before you by Christ's righteousness alone. It's in his name we pray. Amen.